0: My name is Deb Keene, or Deborah Keene, and I was born and raised in Rapid City. I lived right off Jackson Boulevard at the night of the flood, and it was, you know, it started off as a not a typical night. We'd had a lot of rain, but more than that, my friend and I were actually helping some friends out by cleaning for them. They had gone to Denver, and we were supposed to clean late at night. We were cleaning a meat market, which closed at 5. But we also cleaned J.B. Big Boys, which was on Mount Rushmore Road or 8th Street at that time. And they didn't close until late. So we were going to clean the meat market and then go to the band concert. And when we were at the meat market cleaning, the power kept going off. I was cleaning in the locker room, so I was stuck in the locker room cleaning when the light would go off and then power would come back up. But we got it all cleaned, and our plan had been to go then up to Stevens to go to the concert. We were rather tired when we got done, and we thought we wouldn't go to the concert. So we went back to my friend's folks' house, and his folks came home and said the concert had been canceled. So that was kind of the first feeling that there was something bad because people had canceled the concert. We had all these kids from Germany. And so we just thought, well, we would just stay at the house and go clean the restaurant when they closed at 11. Somewhere along the way, we went down to my folks' house, and my mom had to go to work. And we knew by then that things were bad. And I don't remember how we knew that, but he followed my mom to work, and she worked at the old Bennett Clarkson, which is now the Monument Psych Unit or whatever you want to call it, but on that corner of Canyon Lake Drive and Mountain View. So they left a little before 11, to go to work. And he was following my mom, got her, saw her go into the hospital, chose to move his car up to the bank parking lot, which you don't realize how much elevation there is. But he got up there and went back to the hospital and made a phone call about 1045 to our house and said, get the H out of your house. It's flooding. Your car is floating. And I barely made it into the hospital. The other thing about that night that I remember is the the sky was a green color. It was like an old bruise, that old green. It just had a murky greenish color and the air felt heavy when it you know it was raining but earlier in the day it just felt heavy. So, as I was talking to my friend the phone went dead. So that would have been when the rush of water from Canyon Lake dam that whole four-foot wave had hit down that far. My dad did not want to leave. He knew that the people at the end of the street had researched as an architect. He had researched that land, knew that that land had never flooded, but we were not that far from Jackson Boulevard. And so I finally went to bed. Nothing else to do. We had no power. And about midnight, my dad woke me up and said there was a lady at the door, another friend of mine's sister And she and her friend had gotten to our house. I bet she'd been to our house once. So how she got there, I don't know. But they had walked there, and they couldn't get across Jackson Boulevard to go home over closer to Canyon Lake School. And Dad said she's wanting to know if she can stay here. Well, of course she had to stay there. She couldn't get home. Her tale was that she had been downtown. They'd gone to a bar for the evening, and somehow they had gotten... Through the gap, and I don't remember how that happened, they climbed up over a hill. And they saw a Volkswagen go down under the water in the Safeway parking lot and never come up. They had seen two people die there in between all the flashes of lightning. They had sat on a fire truck. She said it seemed like hours. um, And that fire truck was parked at the Sinclair Station where Mountain View comes down onto Jackson Boulevard across from where Smith Liquor is now. It's now a tire place. And then the fireman said, you know, we can't do anything, but you guys can't stay here all night. So she remember kind of how to get to our house. So we sat by candlelight with the phone off the hook because she wanted to get a hold of her daughter and tell them where they were. Now, taking the phone off the hook makes no sense because you're not going to get a dial tone, but Back then, nothing made sense. And about 3 in the morning, my dad, we could see a glow to the northeast looking towards the hill. So my dad said he was going to go see if he could see anything. So he was going up the top of Sheridan Lake Drive, like by the cemetery. Um, That hill across the street from the cemetery used to be called Water Hill because there was a water box on top of it. And he was going to go see if he could see anything. While he was gone, the phone, the buzz of the phone, quit. And I had the phone receiver, and I blew into the phone. And this voice on the other end, this male voice, was, like, shocked. And he said, hello. In reply, I jumped, and I said, hello. And he asked if Mr. Kuhn was there. He said, really, we're trying to get a hold of Jack Cannon, who would have been the associate editor or the assistant editor for the newspaper. Well, Jack and Ruth were in their attic because they were, their house is over on Evergreen on the back nine of the golf course now. So they were in their attic. So they had called us. This guy was from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. And he said, I hear there's a flood out there. I'm trying to figure out if I need to dispatch a reporter in the morning. And I said, well, I have ladies here who saw people die over two blocks from the creek. I think you need to dispatch the reporter. We hung up. That was the first contact we had with people. And then daylight came, you know, it was June, so daylight came five-ish maybe. When it started to get light, Lynn and her friend decided to go on home or try to get home. And somewhere around that time, my friend had gotten home and he called. So phone lines were still working. He called and told me that my mom was fine, that I would never believe the devastation, that the nursing home had collapsed, which actually was the backside of Clarkson. And later I found out that friends of mine actually swam and pulled many people out of that nursing home and up to dry ground. But he told me my mom was fine. So we My dad and I made a call to her folks, which they lived on the north side of West Junior High on a little, well, they lived right along the creek over there, Lime Creek, which didn't really flood. But they were okay. They didn't realize there'd been a flood. They had just gotten up. We went down then to tell my mom that her folks were okay. And my friend was right. We wouldn't believe the devastation there were trees and junk all over the road and you could see where the backside of the nursing home had collapsed and we got to the hospital and our car was actually up against the emergency room door it held the door closed for the night so we went in on the south entrance and up the stairs there And what I remember about that was that they were covered in muck I mean the mud was slippery it was just horribly slippery went and found my mom, told her that things were okay. She worked on the second floor, stopped in the waiting room as we were leaving. And there was a lady and her four or five kids and a classmate of mine. And I asked my mom if I could take them home with me. And she said she wasn't going to be home. It was up to me. So we piled everybody into this car and got everybody home to our house. And the lady and her children had been downtown at dinner with their father, and they were on their way home when the flood had hit. They actually later went up to their house in Dark Canyon, large house for that family, and they never found anything except a garden hose. That's all they ever found. But So I took all these people home. Uh, my classmate was able to call his dad, and he came and picked him up. Somehow the lady was able to get in touch with her family in Huron. So by that night at dinner time, I had her folks, her ex-husband, and the kids all at dinner. I got them all home. She was talking that she needed to let her boss know that they were okay. Her boss happened to be a friend of ours that lived just a few doors down from us. Um, my brother woke up. That morning in Montana and his mother-in-law said, you need to call home. There's been a bad flood. And he said, rapid doesn't flood. How do you know this? And she said, I had a dream. There's a flood. I had left the house for just a short while with all these people there, but I needed water and I had no water pressure. So I went to my friend's house to get water and came back. My brother had called during that time. So I was able to call him back later about that same time my mom arrived with a newly delivered mom and her newborn and said go to the basement find the bassinet these people will be here until we can find their family her husband's a fireman we don't know if they have a house we know that we're evacuating the hospital and she needs a place to stay so we took my sister's bedroom and made it into her room and I don't remember I think she left our house Sunday or Monday so Saturday morning I've now got kids that are puking. No water. Uh, It was quite the mess, but we found beds for people. We found everything. Made supper for people. Her folks, the ladies folks, got here from Huron. Made dinner for everybody. They went back to Huron, and she stayed, I think, with us another night. Um, My mom, of course, had to go back to work and get people moved and things moved. Saturday, other than that, becomes kind of a blur. I mean, I had Tried to figure out where I was putting kids, and the kids were puking. We had two bathrooms, so we had to make, you know, one being you had no water pressure. So you had, you know, tried to figure out how to do all that. And then the other parts about that weekend that I remember were that, well, getting a hold of my brother, and because we were not injured, the military would not let him have emergency leave. So they made plans to get back to Rapid as soon as they could, which was the following weekend. My sister was in Sioux Falls. She was seven. No, she must have been older than that. But she was in Sioux Falls with some of my relatives. And I remember probably Saturday morning or Sunday morning, it was some really early hour. My uncle called. We hadn't even thought to call them and tell them we were okay. And they made arrangements to get my sister back to Rapid City. My dad wanted her to stay in Sioux Falls. My mom realized as a young kid she needed to come home and see that we were okay. So we took that phone call. I don't remember when, but my dad said, Yvonne's not here, and I can't make that decision. My uncle saying, what do you need? And I said, I need water. And he said, I'll I'll send a couple gallons. And I said, no, you don't understand. I need water. So I told him to get halazone tablets so I could purify the water we were able to get because we knew water was not going to be pure with the water purification system down. Other things that I remember were that the hospital had to be emptied. They took the babies, the laboring moms, everybody ended up over at the Catholic hospital. They ended up at St. John's, and all of the supplies had to be moved. And so I don't know if that was Monday or when, but somewhere in there I started helping with moving supplies. And to go through the gap, you had to have a pass because it was martial law. You could not travel back and forth. So every time I'd go through the checkpoints, I'd have to show my pass. And again, the stairwells were treacherous carrying things, but we had to move all the formula. We had to get diapers over there. So I helped with that. The week was kind of blurry. I mean, we couldn't. I couldn't go back to work. I worked at what was then Gilson Inn. They'd had, you know, flooding. The swimming pool was flooded. The first floor was flooded. Our outer rooms were all flooded, and so we couldn't go back to work for quite a while. So the rest of the week, I don't remember a lot of it, except bits and pieces like a good friends of ours, where Boyd's West is now. That was a hardware store. It was Hardware Hank, and even before that, it wasn't, I don't remember what the name was, but the water had come in the back and gone out the front. Haggerty's, where Family Fair is now, the water had come in the back, gone out the front, and taken everything with it. So started helping with cleaning over there when you could, you know, everybody just pitched in and cleaned. You had to have your tetanus shots, you had to have your typhoid shots. Meadowbrook School, which was set up as a... Even though it had been flooded, it was an emergency immunization point. My mom went over, and then she just brought shots home for all of us that were at the house. So, you know, your arms hurt, but you still continued to work. The devastation. You know, the people that turned out, National Guard, would go to Wall and get garbage can full, the plastic garbage cans full of water. And so we would go down to Circle S and get buckets of water, so you had water for drinking. And you were told, you know, to make sure that you boiled it. Um, Just the cleanup that occurred, and then when we finally were able to start cleaning, like when I got called back to work and cleaning the hotel, motel rooms, the stench, you know, from people having been sick and having to use the toilets and not being able to flush them for weeks, it just reeked because the, the rubber... And the curtains just absorbed it. I mean, I don't think we ever got that smell out of your nose, cleaning all of it. The other thing I remember about Saturday morning was I was cleaning. My friend and I were cleaning the meat market and the restaurant because my friends had gone to Denver. Saturday morning, my friend's sister called and asked me how to reach them because the gal who had gone to Denver, her mom and dad, were killed when the wave hit the bridge at McDonald's. And their stories are written, um, Nellie and Wilbur Bishop. So their stories are written. When I went to college 16 months after the flood, I was on the first floor in my dorm and the it started raining hard and the sky turned green And my roommate couldn't figure out why I was just totally freaking, because they were telling me there was water in the basement of our dorm. And you still, every so often, will get that coloring in the sky. And I don't think you ever forget that. The week after the flood, so the flood was on Friday. The next Saturday, there was heavy rain again. And there was talk that there was flood. And we were getting ready to eat dinner. And... That time we did evacuate just because we didn't flood the time before, but nobody knew. And people were saying Pactola had burst. And I remember leaving our house and going up the hill that was really close to our house. And there were many people from the area that were all parked up there because we didn't know. And we weren't going to be caught off guard again. The other thing that I remember a lot about the week between the flood and that Saturday, well, and for quite a few days, were the the newscasts and the reporting. You know, the news reporters on the radio were saying, if you are so-and-so, please call so-and-so. So-and-so, this is where you will find your family. They were the main contact because nobody knew where anybody was. We had no social media. The paper had lists of all the people missing. And you would drive down where we lived, was close to Jackson Boulevard, and to go almost anywhere, you would pass the funeral home. And there were refrigerator trucks at the funeral homes because they didn't have space for all the bodies. And the tales that you would hear of people having to go identify their families, but the lists and all the the news reports, so-and-so, please call, or so-and-so, has been found, you know, things like that. I mean, that was all you heard. That was what the paper was. I think one of the things my dad was always proudest of was the fact that the paper never quit publishing. It was flooded. But they were able, through teletype, send the paper. I think it went to Peer, but I don't remember. And it was published and brought back because a lot of them had also had flood damage, but they knew the importance of keeping the public notified of what was going on and who had been found and who hadn't been found. And and so I think whenever he talked about the flood, that was his proudest. You know, and I've, I've watched and I've been a part of all the memorials, the remembrances the walks. And I think that Rapid is a better community. You know, we have the floodplain. I've heard Don Burnett how many times talk, but he always remembers to talk about how Swanee said, we will never let somebody sleep in the floodplain again. And that is so important as we move forward to remember all the good stuff that came out of it even though it was so tragic. The Mennonites came in and cleaned for I don't know how long. Um, One of the other really good things that I think came out of it, I mean, we've got the floodplain, we've got the bike path, we've got all those areas. Church response, the Catholic Church and the Lutherans got together and said, you know, there are families that need things, and there's families who want to give. And church response has been going now for 50 years. We've got that. I mean, there's a lot of really good things that have come out of the flood. The people that had the hardware store, their son was on his forever trip. He'd graduated from the mines, and he and a friend were in Europe on a three week trip. And they were in France, and this little Frenchman kept saying, Flood in Black Mountains, bad flood in Black Mountains. And, you know, in those days, people didn't. Just pick up a phone and call. I mean, you're on a trip, you kind of leave your itinerary with your family. And finally, they found a paper or something and realized, because there's no Black Mountains, and they started kind of putting it together. Wanted very badly to come back home, but were convinced to stay and finish their trip. But it was, you know, very hard for them to not come home but we cleaned you know you think of a hardware store and all the little containers of nuts and bolts and i remember helping clean dr al wessel was working there i mean that was his job in high school or college and we cleaned out a lot of little bins of nuts and bolts because you tried to salvage as much as you could hardware hank also sold it was called Westside Hardworth. That was its name. They also sold china. And so when my brother and sister-in-law got here, we had brought all the china home or we were bringing the china home from the store. And the Department of Health agreed that if we put it through the dishwasher, that they could resell it. So they would take big old scoop shovels and lift the boxes into a bin or something and bring it home. And then we would dip it in about three different tubs to just get the mud and stuff off it before we ran it through the dishwasher. And so we were able to salvage, but, you know, the grocery store couldn't salvage anything. They had to get rid of all of it. So a dump truck and a payloader just started at the back and cleaned it out. Haggerty's, which is where Family Fair is now, basically the same thing. Somebody was telling me the other day about a guy who was trying to pick at some of the stuff that was out in front in the parking lot. And the police had stopped to pick him up. And he went tearing off into the store. And the muck was so deep in there that he could hardly stand up. But worse was the cop car thought they'd follow him. And they got stuck in the muck. I mean, that was a hearsay I didn't hear directly. But, you know, it was just wherever you went, there was this thick gumbo muck The stories and the pictures in the paper still stand out. You don't have to go looking. They're in your brain.